It is Friday, January 10th here in Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to our DFS podcast for the divisional round of the NFL playoffs. I'm your host, Matt Schauff. With me, as always, is Jared Smola. And this podcast is sponsored by our partners at Fanshare Sports. Fanshare curates hundreds of pieces of daily fantasy sports-related articles, tweets, and podcasts to create the most accurate ownership projections in the industry. Those projections can be found in the Lineup Builder tool on DraftSharks.com. And you can find up-to-date ownership info anytime at FanshareSports.com. And Fanshare is still running for the playoffs. I don't have any idea exactly how the algorithm works with a lot fewer people playing and talking about this stuff right now. But there are still numbers there worth peeking at. I certainly would pay even less attention to that stuff for the playoffs, though, when we have only eight teams available. What do you think, Jared? Yeah, that makes sense to me. I think just talking through some of this stuff, too, you know, we we can just sort of get a good idea on our own, you know, who's going to be popular. Yeah, I, I was just looking at it right before the show, though, so I'm not ignoring it. I do think it's interesting to to see if the projections are kind of lining up with what I'm thinking for, you know, who's likely to go lowest owned at a particular position. We're going to go game by game instead of position by position on this one because we've only got four games. We've got kind of varying slates. The main slate on DraftKings is like usual. It's the whole weekend here. It's all four games. FanDuel, on the other hand, is treating each day as a single main slate. Of course, we've got showdowns for every game. So, you know, hope that we can touch on options for all of those contests and then you can kind of take what you need from it. You can certainly check out the lineup builder tool on draftsharks.com. That is also still running. And we've got content on the site to help you set your teams, whether you're playing DFS or otherwise for this weekend. So Jared, let's kick it off with the first game on Saturday. It's Vikings at the 49ers. And I mean, before we get to the DFS portion of this, I'm mad at myself for not really considering Dalvin Cook at all for my FFPC lineup last week. Yeah, me too. I mean, you know, easy to look back and say that. Um, I, you know, I just, I was very confident that the Saints were going to win that game. And I I, I think, I, I didn't think Cook was going to come back and see the type of workload he did. I mean, he, he said a season high in carries was involved in the passing game and looked good. I mean, he, he looked like a guy who hadn't played in a month. You know, he, he looked fresh. So hindsight's twenty twenty. Um, I think maybe underrating the Vikings chances of winning that game was my problem right like I mean it's you know at the same time I could go back and say oh I should have played DeAndre Hopkins instead of Devin Singletary uh, thinking that Houston would go but for me the, the Dalvin Cook part even if I didn't wind up settling on him I really gave them absolutely no chance of winning the game and I know even the Vegas line was saying this is the game where you can count on the home team winning when we're trying to differentiate, I'm, I'm mad at myself for just kind of ignoring the reports that Dalvin Cook looked good in practice and not even considering, like, if the Vikings do win this game, it's probably going to be on the back of Dalvin Cook, which is kind of like a, you know, like a light version of why to play Derrick Henry in the Tennessee-New England game. Yeah, I think the contrarian aspect of it is what is what you know made Cook a good play, and I, I think it's going to turn out. You know, I think the team that wins the FFPC playoff challenge will end up having Dalvin Cook. So I guess a lesson learned, something to take away. You know, as as we look, you know, to to set our playoff lineups, you know, fifty one weeks from now. 
Yeah, I, I think I have to just be a little bit more open to the possibilities, but we'll move on to the DFS stuff. Vikings at the Niners. Again, Niners are seven-point favorites here, and that's up a half a point from where it opens. So Vegas still doesn't think that the Vikings have a chance. The over-under is down a point from what opened as already the lowest of the weekend. Now it's down to 44, which of, of course is the lowest of the weekend. I want to start by talking about the Niners' defense. From weeks one through nine, with linebacker Quan Alexander involved, they allowed 12.75 points per game and 241 total yards per game. From week 10 on, which was starting with the game after he went down with a torn pectoral muscle, they allowed 26 points per game, 322.6 yards per game. The PFF grades say that the overall defense was down slightly, coverage down slightly, pass rush down significantly, 3.8 sacks per game over the first eight, 2.3 sacks per game over the final eight. Some of that's matchups. Of course, Quan Alexander as an inside linebacker is not having a large effect on the pass rush. Perhaps their young pass rush, you know, Nick Bosa, for example, wore down a little bit as the season wore on. So I just think as we go into this, one thing to keep in mind is that the Niners have not been as dominant a defense over the second half of the season as they were in the first half. Yeah, and I think the injuries have played a part in that. I mean, they're getting Quan Alexander back. They're getting D Ford back. I saw some interesting splits from um, NFL stats and research on the Niners' sacks and sack rate this season with and without D Ford. So I think, you know, getting those two guys back, safety, Jaquiski Tart is back for this game as well. So I, I think there's a chance we see a Niners defense closer to what we saw over the first half of the season on the, in this game on Saturday. To me in general, this game just has the most volatility. Like I'm really not sure what to expect on both sides. I still don't completely trust Kirk Cousins despite his play mm-hmm. in New Orleans last week. I don't trust Jimmy Garoppolo at all in his first playoff game. He's been so up and down all season. So I, I think it does make this game interesting for DFS tournaments. And then I think there's a wide range of outcomes. Yeah. And it's kind of surprising that Alexander is actually back for this game because earlier in the week, it sounded like maybe they would activate him if they actually, and I think that was really what they said. If they win this week, they were probably going to be able to activate him next week. But now the latest is that they're going to activate him today and Alexander will be available for Saturday's game. I, I agree that that significantly changes the matchup here and Nick Bosa even said that he, he called Quan Alexander the team's MVP, which is a bit of hyperbole from a teammate, but it also speaks to the energy of the guy that they brought in via free agency. It certainly has a chance to get the defense going more than what it was over the second half. I think ultimately the changes here are enough for me to, to not go back to Dalvin Cook because I feel like I was stupid for ignoring him last week and thus overplay him this week. I still think that he looks to me when you combine price and situation that he looks like somebody that I should not have much of heading into this weekend at DFS. Really? I, I'm more interested in cook, I guess, than you are. Um, he, he actually comes in as our top running back value on FanDuel. Cook is $8,000 on DraftKings and FanDuel. Um, so he's a better value on FanDuel. He's our third running back value on DraftKings. It's just the the volume and the talent, you know, we said season high, 28 carries last week, saw five targets, you know, don't love the matchup here, but you know, a guy of his talent on a four game slate when, you know, the running back position is thinner than usual, obviously to me, Cooks in play. We'll talk about Derrick Henry, but I think especially on DraftKings with the PPR, I prefer Dalvin Cook to Derrick Henry. 
I mean, he's certainly in play, and I'm certainly not going to go into this weekend with zero Dalvin Cook. Yeah. But it's also a, like a pretty good-looking RB slate considering how few teams are playing. We've got Aaron Jones in the mix. We've got Damian Williams significantly cheaper uh, with plenty of usage. And we'll talk about all these guys going forward. So, I mean, you know, I don't mean to say don't play Dalvin Cook at all, but I would say don't overplay him because you didn't play him last weekend. Yep, that's fair. Um, I, I think on the Viking side, the only other guy I'm really interested in is Stefan Diggs. Um, you know, Adam Thielen's dealing with this cut on his ankle that he suffered in Wednesday's practice that required stitches. So, you know, pretty serious cut, obviously. He didn't practice on Thursday. He's listed as questionable. Sounds like he's going to play, but I mean, that plus this tough matchup has me off Adam Thielen. Stefan Diggs, especially on DraftKings, he's down at 5600 bucks. I think he's interesting just for the talent. You know, we know he's going to be on the field. Um, you know, he was kind of invisible in New Orleans. Um, but I think there's there's a, a good chance, especially with Thielen's injury, that Diggs is featured in the passing game on Saturday. Yeah, I, I could see that, and I could certainly see them falling behind in this game and needing to throw the ball more. I, I think Kirk Cousins is a little bit interesting because of how cheap he is this week, mm-hmm. because he should be battling Ryan Tannehill to be the lowest-owned QB of the weekend. And I mean, especially on DraftKings, Cousins costs 300 more than Tannehill, so that should only help the own rate there. Easy stack with digs, you know, feeling I would, I would probably stay away from because the ankle, I mean, it it sounds like they expect him to play, but Mm -hmm. he's also not expected to do pretty much anything until game time. So who really knows how much it's going to affect them. And as you mentioned, not a great matchup for any of those guys. So not overly interested. I agree with you in the Vikings on the other side. Of course, we've talked about it before. The Vikings defense has been very generous to outside wide receiver scoring. That did not manifest in fantasy points for the Saints last week. Still a positive matchup, though, for Debo Samuel and Emmanuel Sanders. Debo Samuel comes in as a top three wide receiver value for us on both DraftKings and FanDuel. He's actually cheaper than Emmanuel Sanders on DraftKings. Debo's just 5200 bucks there on DraftKings. Um, over the last eight games of the regular season, Debo averaged 6.1 targets per game, actually averaged 1.1 carries per game. They've been pretty consistent in getting him you know, a carry or two on the ground. 13-plus DraftKings points in seven of those eight games. I, it does look like Debo is going to be popular. But again, you know, you can differ- differentiate elsewhere. I think Debo is probably price considered my favorite wide receiver play on this slate. I agree. And I mean, you know, there are only so many players available, so I wouldn't even worry too much about differentiating and just try to put together your best lineup. If you're doing, you know, just a couple of lineups, just go for the best lineup and don't worry about the own rate. Over the 10 games since Emmanuel Sanders joined the 49ers, Debo Samuel has seen six more targets, has six more receptions, has 132 more receiving yards, has 1.2 more yards per catch. Plus, as you mentioned, 11 carries for 151 yards and three touchdowns. Really, Emmanuel Sanders had two big games with the Niners. Otherwise, he's been much less of a factor than Debo. So I totally agree with liking Debo this week. I do think all of that stuff you mentioned and the fact that Sanders is you know $200 more than Debo on DraftKings, I think it does make Sanders an interesting tournament play. I think he'll probably come in you know at half the ownership of Debo Samuels. Sanders still a talented guy, like you said. We've seen him have a couple big games here, matchups just as good as him as it is, just as good for him as it is Debo Samuel. Um, and I should say too that I like Jimmy Garoppolo. If I'm playing a cheap quarterback this week, if I'm not going with Mahomes or Lamar Jackson or Deshaun Watson, Jimmy Garoppolo is my favorite. Like I said, he's been sort of all over the place as a fantasy producer this season, but he does have three games of 30-plus DraftKings points. He's He has shown the ability to have big ones. 
Um, and if we like Debo, if we like Sanders, we th- you know, obviously think Kittle's going to be plenty involved in Purdue. Um, I think it's possible Garoppolo has a pretty big game here. I mean, certainly everybody's in play. For, for me, Garoppolo is the least interesting because you mentioned the ceiling games. He has had four games this season of 23-plus DK points, three over 30. It was both Arizona meetings. It was the New Orleans shootout. And the other one was week two at Cincinnati. Otherwise, he's cracked 15 DraftKings points one time. That was 18.2 against the Packers. He's been under 13 DK points each of his past three games against the Falcons, Rams, and Seahawks. So not scary matchups for him there. You know, as I said, all QBs are in play. I think Jimmy Garoppolo's floor is lower than anyone's, though. And I think if I'm looking down in that range, I'd rather take a shot on Ryan Tannehill because he has the rushing, and I think he has a better shot of falling behind. I think if you do bet on Garoppolo, I think that you need to treat it like you're betting on the Niners to either have a shootout game with Minnesota or fall behind Minnesota and be playing comeback. Yep, I agree. I think um, if you're playing Garoppolo – um, you, you're going to want, you know, either Stefan Diggs or Dalvin Cook, I think, in that lineup. But I agree with you that Garoppolo has the lowest floor among quarterbacks playing this week. I think his ceiling, though, is, you know, right up there behind Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes, Deshaun Watson. Outside of those three guys, though, I think Garoppolo has as high a ceiling as anyone else on the slate. I think Kendrick Bourne is one guy to consider for Matt, for uh, showdowns in the slot. He's oh, He's been over 50% playing time six of his past eight games, and the Vikings are without slot cornerback Mackenzie Alexander again. Yeah, I mean, we're talking a four-game slate or, or the showdowns. I think Bourne's in play. I think you can't count on more than two or three targets out of the guy, but he, he has been used in the red zone quite a bit this season. And Raheem Mostert, speaking of red zone, has scored in six straight games. Past five weeks have seen his five largest playing time shares of the season. He's turned into their number one back, as we know. He has been touchdown dependent. The yardage has been kind of mediocre since the big game at Baltimore, 69-54, 53-57 in the other four games in that stretch. The, the carries 10, 14, 11, 10 over the past four games, but five red zone touchdowns over that span, three of those from inside the 10, according to pro football reference. So if they get close to the end zone, it is Mostert. If he doesn't score a touchdown, he's probably going to hurt your lineup. Yeah, exactly. Mostert's a guy I'm going to be likely full fading on this slate. Um, I, I just think, like you said, he, he's been out producing his volume because of those touchdowns. Just 12.8 carries and 1.8 targets per game over his last five. So if he doesn't hit the end zone, he's probably going to disappoint you. Um, and this matchup is pretty tough too. The Vikings ninth in football outsiders run defense. George Kittle, of course, is going to be expensive. It's a negative matchup for him, but I mean, the guy is basically matchup proof, 70 plus yards in eight of his past 11 games, plus another game of six for 67 in that range. It is a tough matchup though. The Vikings got linebacker Eric Kendricks back last week and this week he's completely off the injury report after he did have some limited practices last week so he's even healthier this week that should only help the coverage in the middle of the field I think when you look up in that range it's a little bit tough to justify going from Mark Andrews up to George Kittle you know unless you're building several lineups obviously you want to include some Kittle most likely yeah I mean just taking into account prices I do prefer Travis Kelsey and Mark Andrews to George Kittle this week um, but I, I think Kittle's price is fine on both sides, especially you know if you consider him a flex play and compare him to running backs and wide receivers. Mm-hmm. I think this is definitely a week where you can use a tight end in the flex spot. 
for sure. Titans at Ravens is a Saturday night game. Baltimore is a 10-point favorite, even though the over-under is down from 48 at the open to 46. Ryan Tannehill gets the worst QB scoring matchup of the weekend by a pretty solid margin. So even if we expect them to fall behind, it's tough to like Ryan Tannehill. Yeah, and I think the Ravens' pass defense probably even better than the season-long numbers would suggest. They've been better since acquiring cornerback Marcus Peters in the 10 games since Peters arrived. Ravens have allowed just 189 yards and 0.9 passing touchdowns per game. Um, Quarterbacks have completed just 57% of their passes and averaged 5.7 yards per attempt against Baltimore. So Tannehill did enough, I I guess, to to not lose the game in New England. But I wasn't particularly impressed with his play, and I don't expect him to do much in Baltimore. You know, the the Titans are going to ride Derrick Henry as much as they can in this game again. Yeah, and a very similar matchup, as you mentioned, to the, the New England game last week. They they acquired Marcus Peters. They got Jimmy Smith back healthy. They shifted the corners, having Marlon Humphrey in the slot. They shifted their linebacker lineup, getting more pass rushers onto the field at the expense of their inside linebackers who aren't very good. So there are multiple changes on the Ravens' defense that can help explain how they got better as the season went on, and they did. So the only way I'm playing Ryan Tannehill is if I'm playing a bunch of lineups and I want one that's going to be very different from what other people have. And I would, of course, play A.J. Brown along with him if I'm doing that. Yeah, I mean, if you're playing Tannehill, you got to play Brown, but I won't be playing Tannehill and I won't be playing A.J. Brown either. I don't know, Tannehill's just, even being a Dolphins fan, watching Tannehill so much in Miami, he was never a guy who was willing to, you know, make risky throws, throw into tight windows. And we've sort of seen that with A.J. Brown. When Brown's had tougher matchups, last week against Stephon Gilmore, just one target. A few weeks earlier against Saints cornerback Marshawn Lattimore, just two targets for A.J. Brown. So, you know, another tough individual matchup for him. So I'm just not sure we're going to see Tannehill, you know, force feed him the ball like he probably should. And AJ Brown's fairly expensive on both slate on both sites and whatever slate you're playing it this week, so makes it harder even to justify him. You know, of course, unless you're building a bunch of lineups. But, you know, maybe if you have a wife who also has an account and you guys <laughs> are, are combining your entries, then maybe you can make one with AJ Brown. Maybe Derrick Henry. You know, you mentioned they're going to ride him as much as possible. He's obviously the top ceiling play at running back if you don't account for cost at all because this is the team that's relying most heavily on the running back. Baltimore much tougher against the pass on defense than it is against the run. And really the only way to stop Lamar Jackson is probably to keep him off the field and score enough points. So Tennessee's best bet for doing that is giving Derrick Henry the ball like 40 times and hoping that it succeeds. That said, the running back slate this week, as I mentioned, I think is a lot more attractive this week than it was last week. So it's really not that hard to not use much of Derrick Henry this week, I don't think. My concern with this game is that both of these teams want to run the ball. And, you know, that means fewer plays and, you know, fewer chances for fantasy points. So you know, that, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's lower scoring than some people expect because of that. Derrick Henry, though, just had 34 carries for 182 yards and a score against the Patriots, who are sixth in football outsiders run defense rankings. The Ravens are 19th in football outsiders run defense rankings. Baltimore allowed 4.4 yards per carry to running backs this season. So, you know, after what Henry did last week, I, I won't say it's, you know, impossible. He has another big game here. I just I don't think he's going to get that type of volume because I just think Baltimore is going to hold the ball a lot longer than the Pats did last week. Yeah, I definitely think he's too good to be a full fade. But last week, I think there was a lot more of I'm scared to not use him because there aren't the other ceiling options at the position to play instead. This week, it's him. It's Dalvin Cook. It's Damian Williams. It's Aaron Jones. There are ceiling options 
even if you choose not to play Derrick Henry, and they're cheaper. Yeah, I, I do think you know ninety six hundred on Fanduel, especially when Dalvin Cook is eight thousand. That that's tough to stomach for me. Eighty two hundred for Henry on DraftKings is you know he's easier to fit into lineups despite the fact that it's full PPR there. Yeah, so if it, you know, do some playing around, see how you like the lineup that you can build around an expensive Derrick Henry on each site. Johnny Smith. The Ravens are 10th in DVOA in tight end coverage for the season. Three tight ends all season reached four catches. Only Travis Kelsey among that group cracked 30 yards. Ricky Seals-Jones was the only other tight end to reach 40 yards against them. It is the worst scoring matchup for any tight end this weekend by our adjusted fantasy points allowed. So I don't consider Jonu Smith one of those like differentiator upside plays this week. No, me either. I mean, he, he is a guy we've seen him. He can take just one target, turn into a big play, and have a nice game. But um, the matchup's tough. The volume has really not been there. He has just two total targets now over the last two weeks. Um, he has two or fewer targets in four of his last seven games now. So he's just not consistently been a big part of this passing game. Now, if we expect Tannehill to have to throw up more, that's obviously going to help Janu. And, and at his price, I think, you know, again, he, he only needs one big play to pay off. So I think if you're going cheap at tight end, he is an option. But again, to me this week, the play is to pay up at tight end for one of those big three guys. Yeah, and I mean, honestly, even if I'm thinking there's going to be a lot more pass volume from Tennessee, I'm probably thinking more about guys like Tajay Sharp than I am going for Johnny Smith because there are better options at tight end. Yeah, exactly. I agree. The opportunity cost of not playing a Kelsey or an Andrews or even a Kittle is pretty high this week. And the Texans and Titans, by the way, two worst defenses on the slate by a wide margin, according to weighted DVOA. And the Titans defense gets even worse because they've already ruled out inside linebacker Jayon Brown, who is a positive for them both in run and pass defense. So that, that's a good segue to Lamar Jackson, who, you know, even at his price tags, he's $8,400 on DraftKings, 9400 on FanDuel. He checks in as the top value at quarterback on both of those sites for us. Like you said, nice matchup through the air for Jackson here. Titans 12th worst in football outsiders pass defense DVOA. Jackson's faced six bottom 12 pass defenses this season. Here are his passing lines in those games. 325 yards, five touchdowns. 272 yards, two touchdowns, 236 scoreless yards, 223 and three touchdowns, 224 and four touchdowns, 212 yards and five touchdowns. That's all on top of 85 rushing yards and 0.3 touchdowns on the ground. So he's consistently had massive games in these plus matchups, and this is another plus matchup on on, uh, Sunday. Yeah, certainly no argument against Lamar Jackson unless it's I'm playing multiple lineups and I don't want to have Lamar Jackson in all of them. And for me, I'm stacking Mark Andrews with him whenever I use him. Mark Andrews gets the biggest coverage mismatch of the weekend, according to Pro Football Focus. Titans are the second best scoring matchup for tight ends this weekend by adjusted fantasy points allowed. Mark Andrews is in play whether you're using Lamar Jackson or not. I think he's a must if you play Jackson. Yes, I agree. Andrews comes in as our second best tight end value on both sites. Um, you know, behind Travis Kelsey, but actually ahead of George Kittle because he is a bit cheaper. So I agree. You're stacking Lamar with Andrews. I think the question is, do you also throw in Marquise Brown if you're, if you're using Lamar Jackson? He's cheap. You know, Brown's 4,400 on DraftKings. 5,300 on FanDuel. I still think he has theoretical upside because of his big playability. And, you know, I, I, I guess he's the Ravens' number one wide receiver. We just really haven't seen it a whole lot all season, really. Brown has topped four targets just once in his last nine games. And he only has two games all season of over 18 PPR points. And one of those was way back in week one. So the price for me is tempting on, on Marquise Brown, but I, I, I'm shying away from using him, especially if he's going to be semi-popular, which it looks like is going to be the case. 
Yeah, and he's also only got 6.7 yards per reception over his past six games. So, I mean, normally I would say, yeah, you want to get a wide out with a quarterback if we say he has such a high ceiling. But obviously a big part of Lamar Jackson's high ceiling is the rushing. He is very capable of having the best game at the position while only throwing for like 200 yards and two touchdowns. Right. So. You know, if I'm doing multiple Lamar Jackson lineups, I'll guess I'll put Marquise Brown in one of them, but I'm definitely not forcing Marquise Brown into all of my Lamar Jackson lineups this week. Yep, I'm with you there. I think there's a lot more upside to many other wide receivers on the slate. And I mean, it might seem odd, but maybe that's a way to differentiate in a Lamar Jackson lineup. I would Mm -hmm. think that people are going to predominantly put Marquise Brown into Lamar Jackson lineup. So maybe the way to differentiate there is to not use the, you know, quote unquote number one receiver, because I don't think the team really has a number one receiver. Yeah, it seems that way. Again, I was surprised when I saw how high fan share projects Marquise Brown to be owned. I think it's over 20%. And I, it probably is because anyone using Lamar Jackson is probably going to throw Marquise Brown in with him. Mm-hmm. And because he, of course, does have the big play upside if he catches deep balls. Yep. Mark Ingram is questionable. No practice Tuesday, no practice Wednesday. It was limited Thursday. John Harbaugh said after Thursday's practice, quote, we'll see how it goes. It sounds like they're expecting Mark Ingram to play, but Ian Rappaport on Friday morning called it an ailing calf. So they're still watching it. I don't think that Mark Ingram is going to be safe. We'll, we'll see what that does to his own rate. There's certainly upside to the situation and the possibility that fewer people play him. But Mark Ingram's going to be a risk. Yeah, I mean, I would have been semi-interested in Ingram if he was healthy, but with the calf thing, and again, like you said, there being plenty of other running backs to look to on this slate, if Ingram's active, I'm just going to avoid the Ravens' backfield. If Ingram's out, I think Gus Edwards becomes interesting, especially on FanDuel, where he's 5400 bucks, and you know it's the half PPR. We can't project Edwards for a big role in the passing game, but I do think we could be looking at you know, 15 or or so carries for Edwards if Ingram's out. So he's 4,900 on DraftKings, so not as big a value. But if you're playing on FanDuel and Ingram ends up inactive, I think Gus Edwards makes a lot of sense. I mean, I think Gus Edwards is interesting even if Mark Ingram is active. 5,400 on FanDuel on the Saturday slate. You know, we're looking for somewhere where we can probably save money. You can make up the upside on him at another position. Maybe Mark Ingram gets hurt again. Maybe his workload is limited. Maybe Gus Edwards just gets a lucky shot near the goal line. I mean, he has been involved when Mark Ingram has been in the game. And you know, if this game goes the way the Vegas projection says, then Baltimore would have incentive to pull Mark Ingram early and run Gus Edwards extra. So I think in most weeks, like in the regular season, I I wouldn't be talking about Gus Edwards here. But since we're talking about a four game slate or a two game slate on Saturday alone, I think there's some upside to Gus Edwards. Yeah, I think that makes sense on FanDuel with the two-game slate and at that price. I think on, on DraftKings, 4900 bucks isn't quite cheap enough yeah. if Ingram is active. There, there's a couple of running backs we'll talk about later here that are cheaper than Gus Edwards on DraftKings that I like a bit better. Yeah, I agree with that. Much much more interesting on FanDuel than he is on DraftKings. And to me, overall, the Ravens' D looks like the pretty easy top choice. The, the pricing is really not all that spread out. On FanDuel, 3600 on the main DraftKings slate is also a solid price. 400 more than the Chiefs, 600 more than the 49ers are the next two in price. Yeah, and Fanshare has the Ravens pretty low-owned, especially compared to like the 49ers, so I think you're going to be the chalk defense. I, I think it, it does make sense in, in tournaments to try to get up to Baltimore. I, th- I really think that we're all still underrating the Vikings as a team. I mean, it seems like the own rates treat them like they can't score points and like the offense is a mess. Yeah, no, I, I agree, especially after what we saw last week. 
Yeah. All right. Texans at the Chiefs on Sunday afternoon. The Chiefs are 10-point favorites. That's up two points from where it opened. The over-under is up from 49 to 51. It's four points higher than any other. So, I mean, this is going to be the center of the fantasy universe for this weekend. Yeah, highest over-under of the week. It's also the fastest-paced game of the week. The Texans 14th in situation neutral pace. The Chiefs 6th in situation neutral pace. So we, sh- we should see more plays than usual in this game. So you know, this is definitely a game to load up on. You want some exposure to it at a minimum, I think. It's also going to be probably the most popular game. Um, but I do think there are some spots we can you know be different within this game. On the Houston side, Deshaun Watson had a rough outing at the Chiefs in Week 6. That included two interceptions. The team fell behind 17-3 to in the first quarter, but he wound up with 280 and a touchdown passing on 42 attempts, plus two rushing touchdowns. So even when Watson has a rough game, like against Buffalo last week, where he was not very good in the first half and then went back to being Deshaun Watson in the second, it doesn't really matter how the matchup is. There's tons of upside to him. Yeah, the Texans won that game in Kansas City back in Week 6, 31-24. The Chiefs did have a ton of injuries, though. They were missing their left tackle. They were missing a guard. Sammy Watkins didn't play in the game. Not sure how much that matters at this point. Um, but they were also missing um, Chris Jones, you know, one of their better defensive linemen. Uh, they were missing linebacker Anthony Hitchens. It was Tyree Kill's first game back from his injury. So I- I'm not sure how much stock to put in that first game, considering all the injuries on the Chiefs side. I agree. For what it's worth, Chris Jones was added to the injury report Thursday with a calf issue. So uh, he's going to be worth watching today and into the weekend to see if uh, there's any question about him playing in that game. Because that certainly hurts the defense, both against the run and in the pass rush. Yeah, that that would be a big loss. Back on the Houston side, Carlos Hyde had a big game in the first meeting. 26 carries, 116, and a touchdown on the ground. Duke Johnson had the the team's lone receiving touchdown in that game, too, so it was a nice day for the running backs. Carlos Hyde fumbled his first carry of that game, was still part of their comeback from that early deficit I mentioned. 13 carries at halftime of that game, 13 more in the second half. Last week against the Bills, he only had four carries among the team's 20 offensive plays in the first half, 16 carries by the end of the game. So obviously the best scenario for Hyde here is that Houston goes in looking to run him a lot to try to keep Patrick Mahomes off the field and try to build a lead, and they are able to go ahead and stick with him. He's not necessarily out of the game plan, though, if they do fall behind. That was definitely the Texans' game plan in the first meeting, was to run hide, control the clock. The Texans actually had the ball for 40 minutes in that first game in Kansas City, so that was the game plan. 26 carries for Hyde in that game. It's a good spot if he's able to get the volume. He should be efficient. You know, the concern is the Chiefs are nine and a half point favorites. And if they do fall behind, you know, that's going to hurt Hyde's touch volume. I don't know. He's, he's just a guy I haven't played all season. I probably won't start now, but um, I can't argue against him, especially only being 5,000 on DraftKings and 6,400 on FanDuel. Yeah, the prices look good. He is averaging 11.4 carries and losses this season, 18.2 carries and wins. So as you would expect, a big difference depending on how the game's going for the team. Chiefs, though, 29th in run defense DVOA, 6th against the pass. That's the biggest gap between those two of any defense on this weekend's slate. So I'm definitely getting some Carlos Hyde in there because I think he'll be plenty involved. And, you know, with the smaller slate, there are fewer options where in the regular season it would be easy to say I'm not overrating the weakness yeah. of the Chiefs run defense. Yeah, that's fair. Duke Johnson is a guy I want to like. The matchup is good for him in the passing game. The Chiefs are 20th in football outsiders running back coverage rankings. The Chiefs allowed the fourth most catches and the most receiving yards to running backs this season. So 
it's a spot where Duke should be more involved. I, I just don't trust the Texans to get him the ball. So he, he's, he's a tough guy for me to, to peg this week. Nor should you trust it. He's been under 40% playing time in three of his past four games, including last week's win over the Bills. He had six total opportunities in an overtime win against a Buffalo team that's tougher on wideouts than it is against running backs. Went into overtime, was without Will Fuller, had a sluggish pass offense through the first half. They still barely gave Duke Johnson the ball. He's had five, six, ten, and six opportunities over the past four games. And the outlier in that range was the lopsided loss to the Titans. I think where you take a shot on Duke Johnson is if you believe that Houston's going to get blown out in this mm-hmm. game because the top five totals for the season in routes run included four losses and a comeback win over Oakland. Right. That's where I think Duke makes sense is if you're doing a Patrick Mahomes team and, you know, maybe stack him with Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey and then bring back Duke on the other side and hope the Texans are just playing from behind multiple scores. Yeah. Even then, it would only be Duke Johnson for me if I need that salary savings over some other running backs that are close to him. Yep, that's fair. Chiefs are weaker in coverage against slot receivers and running backs than they are against other positions. They're stingy against outside wide receivers. Mid-pack on fantasy points allowed to slot receivers. We'll see about Will Fuller. He played his second most slot snaps of the season in that week six meeting with Kansas City. Nothing huge in that game. Limited in practice last week, limited in practice this week. We'll see whether he plays this weekend. That Chiefs game for Fuller was the game where he dropped what looked like would have been three touchdowns. So he, he could have had a, a massive game there. So Fuller is the guy that's interesting. I mean, he's tournament only, obviously, because one, we don't know if he's going to play. And if he does, we've seen him, you know, unable to make it through a couple of games now coming back from these injuries. So high risk. But, you know, he does have the upside, especially if the Texans are going to play him in the slot more like they did in that first meeting. Yeah, I mean, we'll see if that's the case, if he does play. Since then, it's been Kenny Stills mostly in the slot and Will Fuller predominantly on the outside. If Will Fuller doesn't play, Kenny Stills will see barely any slot time based on what we've seen lately. And instead, it'll be DeAndre Carter in the slot. That I don't think DeAndre Carter is worth much consideration for most contests here, but I think he's a sneaky guy for showdowns at 1800 bucks on DraftKings. Yeah, so in that first Chiefs-Texans meeting, the Texans used DeAndre Hopkins in the slot on 44% of his snaps. That was actually his highest rate during the regular season. So I think they saw that matchup and wanted to get Hopkins in the slot a bit more too. And then last week against the Bills, Hopkins played 50% of his snaps in the slot. You know, that that was a new season high for him. You know, I think that was to get him away from Tredavious White. So encouraging that Houston is, I think, you know, doing the best they can to get Hopkins in in the most advantageous matchup. So if they do that again with Hopkins, get him into the slot more, I think, you know, he could definitely have a big game here. Yeah, I think that's good to note as we build lineups for this week. And, you know, he had a a silent first half against the Bills, and then they found ways to get him the ball in the second half. So I would assume that they head into this game trying to do the same thing with him. So it's certainly worth trying to get Hopkins into lineups more than you might otherwise because of the matchup and the other options this week. At tight end... Jordan Aikens returned to limited practice this week. The hamstring cost him last week's game. We'll see. What do do we have a game status on him for this week yet? We don't. Um, you know, we'll get the Texans final injury report on Friday afternoon here. To me, Darren Fells is in play if Aikens is out again. Fells played ninety six percent of the Texans' offensive snaps last week. Saw twenty percent target share. Those are good numbers for a guy priced down at fifty two hundred on FanDuel, thirty five hundred on DraftKings. If Aikens is back, I'll be avoiding both of these tight ends. 
I think Darren Fells is still in play even if Aikens returns. His seven targets in that first meeting with the Chiefs were third on the team and were a season high for him. He's been about a 70-plus percent playing time guy even when Aikens has been in the lineup. KC is a slightly better scoring matchup for tight ends by adjusted fantasy points allowed than number two on our list this week, the Titans. Chiefs are weird. They're 28th in adjusted fantasy points allowed, but Football Outsiders has them fourth in tight end coverage. So I, I don't know what to make of the matchup. Yep. I think why I would lean toward Fells as an option is I would expect Houston to not win this game. I don't think they're very good. They should have lost last week to Buffalo. And if they do fall behind, I expect more passing volume. And Fells is one of the few options that that could go to. I think if Will Fuller's out, it also helps Darren Fells this week. Yeah. So I think for cheap tight ends, Darren Fells, Jonu Smith, and Kyle Rudolph are all in the same price range on both sides. Do you, do you like Fells most among those three? Yes, I do. Okay, I, I, I'd lean towards Rudolph, just I think he has the most touchdown upside. I, I can't argue with that. Yeah. On the Kansas City side, Patrick Mahomes threw for 273 and three touchdowns, just 19 of 35 passing in that first game. This is a better matchup than that. I think we'll get a better Patrick Mahomes game than that this time. Houston's the only positive scoring matchup for quarterbacks this weekend. Higher adjusted fantasy points allowed. And really, last week, Josh Allen probably should have done a lot more than he does. Yeah, I think in that first game, Mahomes was still coming back from that high ankle sprain. I think he, he wasn't at 100%. Um, he, he really came on over the last four games of, of the regular season. You know, didn't have massive fantasy outings, but completed 70% of his passes, averaged 7.9 yards per attempt over those last four. So I think he's, I think Mahomes is kind of sitting on a big game. And to me, this is just a total mismatch. These Chiefs weapons against this Texan secondary. Um, Houston 26th in football outsiders pass defense DVOA. So if a quarterback is going to outscore Lamar Jackson this week, I would bet on it being Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. And Houston is top eight in fantasy points allowed to all three wide receiver spots, according to pro football focus. And by top eight, I mean, they're on the wrong end, giving up a lot of points to the position. Uh, Does any wide receiver this weekend have a higher ceiling than Tyreek Hill? Nope. He hit 80 yards and two touchdowns in the first meeting against Houston. And that was on a 51% snap rate in his first game back from that collarbone injury. So, you know, he, he was limited and still had a big game. The Texans allowed the seventh most pass completions of 40 plus yards during the regular season, 25th in adjusted fantasy points allowed to wide receivers. So Hill's a guy you, you definitely want to use in Mahomes lineups, obviously. And then even in other lineups, I'm going to be trying, I'm going to be trying to get Tyreek into my lineups this week. Yeah, he finished the season kind of quietly, but it, it, he didn't finish it poorly. So he had negative matchups against Patriots, Broncos, Bears, and Chargers in the final four games. He put up lines of 6 for 62, 5 for 67, 5 for 72, and 4 for 61 in those matchups. So he was still double-digit PPR points in each of those games. And as we mentioned, the matchup this week is terrific. The ceiling is extremely high. Tyreek Hill you know, could be the fantasy story of the weekend. Yep, definitely. Now, talk to me about Sammy Watkins. (laughs) So he missed the initial matchup. This time he gets Vernon Hargreaves in primary coverage as the main slot guy. According to Pro Football Focus, Hargreaves has allowed allowed 77.5% completions, a 10% touchdown rate on catches in his coverage, and a 125.6 passer rating on targets in his coverage. All three of those numbers are worse than the performance that got him dumped by the Buccaneers over the first nine games this season, according to PFF. 
I know he's he's so tempting, and you know he he's cheap on both sites. Forty three hundred on DraftKings, fifty two hundred on FanDuel. I don't know. I've I've played him enough this season and been disappointed. I think I'm going to give him one more shot this week. <laughs> I mean, on a normal slate, I'd be like, I don't I don't care what the upside is on Sammy Watkins or how good the matchup is. I've, there are lots of other options, but this week there are not lots of other options. Then he's in good price ranges, and really, it's more of a bet on. Patrick Mahomes than it is on Sammy Watkins. And he's he's seen eight plus targets in four of nine games since coming back from injury. So like he he's had these games where it seems like he's he's a big part of the game plan. And in this matchup, I think it would definitely make sense for the Chiefs to attack these Texans cornerbacks. Yeah, and he's still playing more than Demarcus Robinson. He's playing a lot more than Nicole Hardman. And Travis Kelsey's also dealing with a knee issue that's new since week 17 this week. Yeah, he is. It's good you mentioned that. Um, we'll have to keep an eye on that. It doesn't, doesn't seem like anything that's going to keep him out of this game. You know, I still think Kelsey, to me, unless we hear something about that knee, you know, that it's it's going to limit him. Um, I'm probably going to have Kelsey in every single lineup I make, whether it's at the tight end spot or the flex spot. I just think his price is too low on both sides. Kelsey actually comes in as the best flex value on DraftKings. So, you know, he's a better points per dollar value than all tight ends, running backs, and wide receivers. He's the fourth best flex value on FanDuel. Yeah, I think it'll be notable whether the knee merits any kind of uh, game status on the yeah. final report of the week, and then certainly watch it through the weekend if he does. But, you know, it's, it's a terrific spot for everybody on the Kansas City offense. Damian Williams is, of course, among those guys. In the first meeting with Houston, the Chiefs had nine total running back carries. Damian Williams had two total touches. His role has changed quite a bit since then. His past four healthy games have seen 14, 24, 19, and 19 total opportunities. Houston is the best running back scoring matchup of the weekend. For me, when you put all of it together, the matchup, the situation, and his price, Damian Williams is the best running back play of this weekend. He's going to be a building block for me. Yeah, he, he does come in as the top value for us on DraftKings at 6000 bucks. He's the second best value over on FanDuel at 6900 I think Delvin Cook edges him out there. But yeah, I, I agree. Damon Williams will be one of, if not my highest owned running backs. The, I, the only question with Williams, the only you know worry with him, were the Chiefs resting LaShawn McCoy for a bigger role during the postseason? I don't think that's the case. I think they just realized McCoy is basically out of gas and Damon Williams is their best running back, but I wouldn't be shocked if it's, you know, closer to a 50, 50 committee this weekend. Yeah. And I'm, you know, I've, I've seen that notion out there, but the chiefs were still playing for stuff while they were doing that. It's not like the Vikings easing up on Dalvin cook because he had a shoulder injury. It's not like the Titans sitting Derrick Henry for a game that ultimately didn't mean anything for them for playoff positioning. The chiefs were playing for the playoffs and they were still giving the ball to running backs. Damian Williams got a bunch of touches I think it's because LaShawn McCoy is breaking down. He's not that good, and they're just fine without him. He'll be back in the mix, but I still think that Damian Williams is going to emerge as the clear lead back here. Yep, I'm, I'm right with you there. Houston has allowed the fifth most PPR points to running backs on the season, the second most receptions to the position, 17 combined touchdowns. Last week, we saw Devin Singletary catch six balls for 76 yards. Eight other running backs caught five-plus passes against Houston this year. They've allowed 4.6 yards per carry for the season to running backs. They have faced the 10th most rushing attempts, so it's a good situation with the you know big line in favor of the Chiefs. It favors running back touches. Uh, Damian Williams, even when LaShawn McCoy and he were splitting the backfield, 
Damian Williams was the clear lead receiver between them. So even if we get more LaShawn McCoy carries than I'm expecting, I think Damian Williams is the, the clear leader at receiver and the better bet for goal line carries. Yep, I agree. And like you said, excellent matchup for Williams in the passing game and on the ground too. Um, you know, Devin Singletary last week on top of the big game in the passing game also averaged 4.5 yards per carry on the ground. So, you know, the return of J.J. Watt didn't do a whole lot to help the Texans run defense. Seahawks at Packers on Sunday night to close things out. The Packers are four-point home favorites. Over-unders up a point from 46 to 47. On the Seahawks side, there's some O-line injuries to monitor. Center Joey Hunt has been playing through a leg injury, limited in practice, but he should play. Left tackle Dwayne Brown has missed three straight games with a knee injury. They're talking like they think he might be ready to play for this game. We'll see about his game status when the Friday injury status has come out. We'll see about him through the weekend, but still no practice Wednesday or Thursday. Maybe he'll return. Left guard Mike Upati missed last week against the Eagles with a neck stinger. He's looking more iffy even than Dwayne Brown for this game. All of that, I think, expands the range of potential outcomes for Russell Wilson. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, that's been Russ all year. He's been boomer bust as a fantasy play. My concern with Russ and his wideouts in this game is that Seattle, as they like to do, looks to go run heavy in this game and actually has some success on the ground against a pretty bad Packers run defense. Um, Green Bay's 23rd in football outsiders run defense DVOA. Um, They've allowed 4.9 yards per carry through running backs this season. We heard Pete Carroll say he wanted to get uh, Marshawn Lynch in a bigger role this week, which would obviously mean more work on the ground for him. So that's my concern is that we don't get the passing volume from Russell Wilson that we've gotten these past couple weeks. Yeah, so I'm not excited about Russell Wilson this week. What, what about Marshawn Lynch? And so you, you mentioned Pete yeah. Carroll said, quote, he's going to play more this week. Last week we got, what, six carries from Lynch, plus three targets, I think, 11 carries for Travis Homer. Yeah, I'll say that Lynch is on my list of potential tournament considerations. He's cheap. You know, I, I think he's 43 or 4,400 on DraftKings. He, he's one of the guys that I would prefer over Gus Edwards, assuming Mark Ingram ends up active. I um, mean, you know, that knocks against Lynch, you know, one, he hasn't really ran it all that well. You know, his yards per carry is under three through these first couple games back. Um, and he's not going to do a whole lot in the passing game. But, you know, if he gets 12 carries and, and finds his way into the end zone, he, he's going to pay off. When you combine all of that with the O-line injuries, I'm going to be looking away from Marshawn Lynch. I'm certainly not considering Travis Homer. So it's really just a backfield for me to avoid unless I get to the point where I need somebody in that price range and I just want to take a shot on Marshawn Lynch. Or, if, you know, if I'm building a bunch of lineups, I, I can find a spot for Lynch. But he's certainly not somebody that I'm trying to use. Yeah, no, that's fair. I won't be heavily invested, but I might, you know, toss him in a lineup if I need a cheap running back. DK Metcalf, I'm also going to be moving away from this week. It's not a great matchup for Seattle wideouts in general. Uh, they're both in play, obviously, because of the slate. And I, But I think the, the matchup with Green Bay being tougher against the pass, plus I think Metcalf's own rate is going to get a boost from last week. And his price has already gotten a boost. He's $800 more than A.J. Brown on the DK main slate. He's $1,600 more than Alan Lazard and $1,800 more than Sammy Watkins on FanDuel's Sunday-only slate. So I think that all of that kind of adds risk and takes away some of the luster of Metcalf. Yeah, if I'm going to go with a Seahawks wide receiver, and I might not play either of these guys, but if I do, it's going to be Tyler Lockett this week. Um, He's cheaper than Metcalf now on both sides. I do think he's going to be lower-owned after what we saw last week. 
Last week just went how we expected with Metcalf having the big game as the outside wide receiver against the Eagles, who, you know, were the best defense against slot wide receivers. This week, there's no real advantage for Metcalf versus Lockett. Um, The Packers are 16th and 8th in fantasy points allowed to both outside wide receiver spots. They're 10th in fantasy points allowed to slot receivers. Like you said, you know, tougher matchup for both guys. But no big edge for Metcalf this week. So when you factor in Lockett being cheaper and likely lower owned, I think he's the guy to go to if you're going to use a Seahawks wide up. And Lockett seems to have gotten healthier lately. He had that shin injury back in early November against San Francisco. Up to that point, he had 6.2 catches per game and 81.6% catch rate. Since that time, he has 3.4 catches per game, a 57% catch rate. His yards per reception, though, are actually up. Since then, he had the ceiling game against the Panthers in that range. And his yards per catch, I think, indicate that the upside remains. And I think that he's healthier lately because as late as week 16, we still found Tyler Lockett getting injury designations, missing some practice time. In that week 16, he had one catch on seven targets against the Cardinals after missing a Thursday practice to rest the issue. Since then, he's had no injury designation week 17. Last week, this week, he had six catches for 51 and a touchdown on seven targets against the Niners. He had four for 62 against the Eagles last week. And as we mentioned, the Eagles have been tough on slot receivers all year. So I think that's a solid line against them. He's also had nine red zone targets over the past four games, two plus in three of those games, including two of them last week at Philly. Yeah, he definitely looks healthy to me. I mean, he he made that sweet catch down the left sideline in that win over the Eagles. Again, my concern with Lockett is just the passing volume from Seattle not being, you know, where it was the past couple weeks in this matchup against a Packers defense that struggled against the run. Packers are much worse in tight end coverage than they are against other positions, according to Football Outsiders. A negative matchup by adjusted fantasy points allowed, but I think Jacob Hollister is a solid option. Six plus targets in seven of his 11 games, four plus catches in the past six such games, games where he got at least six targets. He's fourth on the DraftKings main slate in price of the position, but his $4,000 puts him 1600 behind Mark Andrews in salary, 2200 behind George Kittle, and 2400 behind Travis Kelsey. Yeah, Hauser's sort of in like a weird range, I think, on both sides pricing-wise. You know, below, clearly below those top three guys, but he's clearly more expensive than the John o. Smiths, Kyle Rudolph, Darren Fells. Uh, I'm not sure what that's going to mean for his ownership. I do prefer Hollister to Rudolph, Fells, and John o. Smith even at price. But again, I think I'm really going to try to use one of those big three tight ends and you know maybe even use another one at the flex spot. But I think outside of those, Hollister would be my next favorite play. On the other side, Aaron Jones, four straight Seattle opponents have had two running back rushing touchdowns for the season only the Panthers allowed more running back rushing scores middle of the league in receptions allowed to running backs but the fourth most receiving yards allowed so put all that together I think Aaron Jones is probably a better play this weekend than Derrick Henry or Dalvin Cook as the home favorite when you take all the costs into account even with Jamal Williams likely back though yes that's that's my concern. Early all season when, when, when Williams is healthy, we've seen something too close to a true backfield committee. So in the 12 games that Williams has been healthy in, Aaron Jones has averaged 13 carries and 3.6 targets per game. So, you know, that's nowhere near the volume you're going to get out of Derrick Henry and Delvin Cook. Yeah, but more recently we've seen Aaron Jones take over the backfield more. I mean, Jamal Williams did play all through the regular season up until week 17. I know he missed um, a game before that, 
but we've heard the coaches talk about getting Aaron Jones the ball more. We've seen it happen recently, and I think Aaron Jones's performance will keep him more in control of the backfield, even with Jamal Williams coming back. And there's yeah. the upside to the opponent, and of course for the other two guys, there's downside of them playing much tougher defenses. Yep, that's fair. I'm gonna see what the ownerships are on these guys. If Jones is gonna chuck in. You know, much lower owned than Derrick Henry and Dalvin Cook. I do think he's an interesting tournament play. I think Jamal Williams is an interesting tournament play too. Um, when you factor in his price, especially you know forty six hundred on DraftKings, so nearly three thousand dollars cheaper than Aaron Jones, fifty one hundred bucks on FanDuel. Williams in those twelve healthy games this season averaged eight point four carries and three point five targets per game. You know, he he only averaged one tenth of a target fewer than Aaron Jones did. So especially that. Passing game role makes him interesting on DraftKings, I think. Yeah, and I think he's a more interesting salary relief option than Marshawn Lynch. Yeah. Uh, and he's actually, I mean, Marshawn Lynch costs more than Carlos Hyde on FanDuel this week. So that that's where I would be looking for salary relief. Yeah, I'm with you on DraftKings. Um, Jamal Williams is my favorite cheap running back play, you know, I think ahead of Marshawn Lynch. And then I'd rank Gus Edwards number three, assuming Ingram ends up active. Devontae Adams, of course, is the other stud in the Green Bay lineup. 10 for 166 on 12 targets when they faced Seattle last November, last season. It's not a terrific coverage matchup this time, but it's also not a worrisome matchup, I don't think. Yeah, Adams checks in as the top wide receiver value for us on both sites. Um, you know, despite being expensive, seventy eight hundred bucks on DraftKings, eighty four hundred bucks on FanDuel. His his volume has just been awesome since coming back from that injury. Um, Eleven point four targets per game in those eight games, um, averaging seven point three catches, seventy seven yards, point six touchdowns per game. He closed the regular season with three straight games of 22 DraftKings points. So Adams and Tyree Kill are the two wide receivers I'm looking to pay up for on this on this slate. Mm-hmm. Alan Lazard is somebody to look for down on the cheaper range. 75 mm-hmm. plus percent playing time now in three straight games and nine and eight targets in each of his past two contests. Yep, he's kinda, I, I think he's clearly emerged as the number two wide receiver here. Lazard has run the second most pass routes among Packers wide receivers in three straight games now. He was at... 78% in the week 17 game. So he, he's definitely the cheap Packers wide receiver to look to. Jimmy Graham is not an attractive player at this point, but he does get a good matchup. He gets a $3,300 salary on DraftKings main slate, seven targets last time out. Playing time is down lately, but he's been over 50% in three of the past four games. Red zone targets not there. So not a ton of upside to Jimmy Graham, but there's some decent outlook for somebody way down at that salary. Yeah, I mean, he, he's fine if you need the savings. I, I prefer Rudolph, though. I know he's a few hundred bucks more, but um, if you can make it work, I definitely prefer Kyle Rudolph to Jimmy Graham this week. Packers defense at 2800 on DraftKings looks like the best option to me if salary matters. Yeah, I think they have a whole bunch of sack upside, um, especially with those offensive line injuries in Seattle you talked about. I agree. That's going to do it for this Wild Card Weekend DFS podcast. Head over to DraftSharks.com now to see our full player rankings for the week. Check out our DFS lineup builder tool. Help build your lineups for playing on both DraftKings and FanDuel this weekend. You can also find us on Twitter. We are at DraftSharks. Jared is at SmolaDS. I am at ShaufDS. That's S-C-H-A-U-F. For Jared Smola and the rest of the DraftSharks crew, I'm Matt Shaufstein. Thanks so much for swimming with us. 